Welcome to Word of Grace, a local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. So tonight we're going to uh, read a little bit again from the uh, book of Job because there's so much that we can get out of that um, and, and the types and just the, the unbelievable truths uh, that are in there and uh, the the process of sanctification experientially that we are, as believers are involved in. So for the first thing we have in the book of Job, and you'll see this in the first and in the second chapter, is the fact that it's God's testimony of Job. So God is bringing out Job's testimony to Satan because remember he God is the one that instigated or got the whole thing started it really wasn't Satan so the first thing again is Job is God's testimony of Job then the second thing is as soon as God in the face of Satan is bringing out the testimony of Job then begins Satan's accusing and opposing himself. So we, then we have Satan accusing and opposing Job. He accuses God before man, and he accuses man before God. He's the accuser. He's the opponent. And so then you don't hear any more of Satan, his three friends now come. You don't hear or see Satan specifically, but you sure hear him through his three friends because they again begin to take up the accusing and the opposing of Job. Then who comes into the picture? Into the picture, I believe it's the 31st chapter of Job, then comes Elihu. Elihu here is what Job was praying for when he prayed in Job 9, verse 33, in the midst of his trials, in the midst of all of that that was going on in his life, in the midst of his just losing everything, his children, his wealth, everything, and then his health. And then comes the three friends. Now, Job didn't realize it. This whole thing was going on with Satan and God. He didn't realize it. He wasn't aware. All he was aware of was his three friends. <laughs> he couldn't see because the, this, this was the invisible, shall we say, this invisible happening, this invisible conflict, uh, this invisible uh, challenge, so to speak, of God and Satan. But then in the midst of Job's great loss, then he has... What does he have? He has three friends. 
Now he can see them, and he can hear them. And again, those three friends bring in. <laughs> they continue, Satan through those three friends, continue the accusing and opposing and even using the word of God to do so. And so then, again, as we just said in Job 9.33, Job <clears throat> was crying out, I wish there was a daysman, an umpire, a go-between. Someone who could touch me would be human and touch me, and someone who could be divine at deity and touch God. Elihu, after his three friends cease talking, then Elihu comes into the picture. And he is the type of Christ. Elihu, the daysman. And it's, we'll get into some specific things. We won't get into too many specific things because I believe that God just wants us to get a great and solid foundational overview of the book of Job and how we can apply it to our life. And then we want to get into the specifics of what's going on here. And so, again, Elihu comes into the picture. He's the type of Christ. And then, finally, I believe it's the 38th chapter, then it's God himself. So to understand the book of Job, we'll repeat it again. Number one, we have God's testimony of Job. Two, then Satan begins accusing and opposing Job. And then he does it, continue, it's continued when he's out of the picture. The scene now comes on to the visible. And the invisible is now that Satan is working through his three friends. You have the three friends coming to the picture. Then Elihu comes in between the three friends, all the accusations, all the opposition, every single thing that he's going through, Elihu comes in between now. So Elihu now is in between Satan, his three friends, all the accusations, the condemnation. He's in between because then finally, in the end, it's God himself that begins to speak to Job. But in between is Elihu. He was the answer to his prayer. And so he comes into the picture. Now, I want to read, I'm just going to read some of these verses here in Job, and then we just, we'll just finish it up and get a great overview. So finally, when we're in the 33rd chapter, Elihu begins by saying this in verse 12. Behold, in this you are not just. He's saying, Job, you're not, you're not just. I will answer you that God is greater than man. Remember in the 32nd chapter? If you look at 30, Job 32, verse 1, it says, so, so these three men ceased to answer Job. That's what it says. They ceased to answer him because all they could do was accuse and oppose Job using the word. 
not knowing that there's this, this invisible conflict that's going on. They're accusing him that there's sin in his life, uh, and, and God basically is paying you back. He's angry at you, and all these things are happening to you because uh, there's something in you. You're not right. That's what his three friends were saying. So they ceased in Job 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job. Why? Because he was righteous in his own eyes. That's what he was saying, Job. You're righteous in your own eyes. Then, 32, it says, Then was, was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakal, the Buzite, or the Buzite of the kindred of Ram, against Job was his wrath kindled. Do you ever notice in the Synoptic Gospels? You saw wrath in Jesus Christ against the Pharisees. That's when his wrath really came out because they were self-righteous. They paraded themselves in front of everybody else, made themselves better than anybody else in their self-righteousness. And so Elihu, the type of Christ, says to, to Job, because he, he was righteous in his own eyes, and because, because of that, he was living in self-righteousness, he justified himself rather than God. Also in verse 3 of 32, also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. In other words, they didn't know what was going on in his life. They had no clue. They were so self-righteous in themselves that they had no answer. There is no answer in self-righteousness. You get someone counseling you in self-righteousness, there's no answer. There's no answer. Yet they will condemn you. And we know where that comes from. The book of Job is bring, brings it out. It brings it out very, very clearly. Then let's, we'll just turn to, go to Job 33. Again, Job 33, verse 12 says, Behold, in this you are not just. Job, in this thing you're not just. And I'm going to answer you. This is Elihu. This is what he's telling him. A type of Christ. You want, listen, Job, you, in this you're not just. And I will answer you. All the answer to everything in the believer's life, every question, the whole answer is in Christ. It's in him and him alone. And so Elihu says, I will answer you that God is greater than man. Why do you strive against him? Oh, boy. That's what happens to us when we make the issue of ourselves, which we do when we go through things. We make ourselves the issue, and we get bothered sometimes or troubled. And, and, uh, but really, what does it say? It says, why do you strive against him? For he gives not account of any of his matters. In other words, does God have to answer to us? 
when he has already given us the answer in his son. Do he, you think he has to answer anything more than that? Well, verse 14 of Job 33, For God spoke once, yea, twice, yet man perceived it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men in slumbering upon the bed, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. Oh boy. He has to he hides pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit. Isn't that amazing what God does this whole time when we're in trial and Satan in the atmosphere is accusing and opposing us? All the while, God is opening our ears to seal the truth, to seal instruction in our thinking. Why? That he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. He wants to hide us because we're hidden in Christ in Colossians 3, verse 3. All he's doing by doing this is it says in verse 18, he keeps back his soul from the pit. Now, of course, for the Christian, we don't, we're not going to go to hell, but it can, we can go, it seems like we can go through all kinds of hell in our experience. That's what the psalmist was saying. In Psalm, and I'll just digress with this Psalm really quick, and then we'll get right back to this, but in Psalm 42, has an interesting thing that it says. Actually, in Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Verse 2, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Again, here, beautiful types. He waited patiently for the Lord because he does hear us. The accusation many times in the opposition is that God doesn't hear. It's taken so long. This thing's taken so long. That thing, your personal struggle, what you're going through. But he has heard our cries. This is very true. In Psalm 40, verse 1. Then he what? He brings us up out of a horrible pit. Horrible pit here is a pit of noise. That's what the Hebrew says. It says it's a pit of noise. The noise of the accusation the opposition, the condemnation, the human thoughts trying to mix itself with God's thoughts. And God takes us up out of that pit. That's what he's doing. He's opening the ears of men in Job 33, verse 16, to seal their instruction. What? That he may withdraw man from his own purpose and hide pride from man. This whole time striving against God, and yet God is doing all of this 
to get us out of a pit of noise. All these accusations, these voices, these projections in, in the atmosphere that come against the Christian because he wants to bring us up out of that pit of noise of all this, these thoughts that flood us, these imaginations. Out of a miry clay, we get stuck in patterns of thinking that aren't of him that are a result of the accusations, the opposition, and the condemnation that comes from the atmosphere. And he wants to set our feet, it says in Psalm 40, verse 2, upon a rock, a solid foundation. How to think in a very foundational way, in an immovable way, in positional truth, in Christ who is our rock. And then it says, and he establishes our goings. So back to Job 33, in verse 19. Well, verse 18, it says, he keeps back his soul from the pit. Do you see the correlation here? He, he's going, he wants to keep our soul, our self-conscious capacity, away from the pit of the noise. The accusations, it's like we get in a pit and, and sometimes we stay there for days. And we can't get out. But he wants to keep our soul through unsealing our instruction from the pit and our life from perishing by the sword. And he wants to hide pride from us. He, keep, he wants to Hide us in Christ. That's our position. And so in verse 19, he is chastened also with pain upon his bed. And the multitude of his bones with strong pain. So that his life abhors bread. He, can't, he doesn't even enjoy the simple things in life. There's no enjoyment. And his soul, even from desiring meat, does even... Regular things to desire. Just lose their, they just lose their value. They lose everything. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out. There's so much in here we don't have time to get into tonight. But we'll just finish this up. Yea, his soul draws near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers. Remember in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but Jesus comes, came that we, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And then in Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them. God wants to heal us and seal our instruction. So he sends the word, the truth about who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us and everything of who he is and what he's accomplished to God, for God, and for us on our behalf. Do you ever been in a circumstance, in a situation where you feel like you're so close to the grave and life? It just feels that way. And his life to the destroyers and that's what Satan wants to do through his accusations, 
through his opposition, through his condemnation. He wants to destroy our capacity to even enjoy who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us through lies. Listen, it's wiles. His power has been defeated. He doesn't operate by that. He operates through his wiles, his cunning deceit, those accusations. Verse 23. Listen to what it says in Job 33. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand to show unto man his uprightness. That's Christ. Job is crying out. If there could, would only be a messenger, someone that could explain him and interpret him to me and interpret who I am in him and who he is in me. One among a thousand. There's no one like Christ. No one like him. He's one among a thousand. And he's come to show unto man that man's uprightness, his righteousness, is in Christ. It's not in himself. Then verse 24 says, Then he is gracious unto him. When the Holy Spirit, who in this sense can be the messenger that takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14, the Spirit of truth in John 14, 17, he interprets Christ to us. He interprets who he, Christ is in us. And he interprets who we are in him and how to think in him based upon how he thinks about us through his word. To show unto man, he wants to show us continually that we, that Christ in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he's our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And he that glories doesn't glory in himself, but he glories in the Lord. He glories in him. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. So then, then when that happens, when the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and interprets the truth to us, then, in verse 24, then he is gracious unto us. He wants to seal our instruction with the fact that he is absolutely, it's grace and truth in Christ in John 1, 14. And say, then he is gracious unto him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. The pit of noise, those bad thoughts, the things that aren't true about God, the things that aren't true about Christ, the things that aren't true about us. And who we are in him. He wants to deliver us from the pit. Why? Because look what it says. I have found a ransom. God can be that way towards us. Why? Because he has found a ransom. And that's Christ. He's found a ransom. Verse 27 Again, in verse 25, it says, His flesh will be fresher than a child's. He will return to the days of his youth. In comes this life, this power, this energy. And even in type, just think about the incredible glorified bodies that we're going to receive 
as a part of what Christ has accomplished on Calvary. He will pray unto God. He will pray unto God. We can pray unto him. And he, God, will be favorable unto him because God's found a ransom. It's Christ. And through Christ, he will be favorable. He will be gracious to us in the midst of it. He will be faithful. He will be favorable. And it says, look, then it says, and then he will see his face with joy. Boy, I'll tell you, when the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ, shows you really who God is in Christ, this God of love, when we become occupied, because love is always the solution. God is always the solution. And we'll, we'll get into this at a later date. It's not knowledge. It's not just knowing about God. It's experiencing his love intimately. That's the solution. Yes, we need to know things. We need to know truth. And Job knew truth. You could see it. But he didn't have a full understanding of it. And he will see his face with joy. Now I can look at him. I can look at God through Christ. Because I'm not, through Christ, I am not looking at God as my judge. I'm looking at him as my justifier. I don't have to justify myself. Because the self-life has been taken care of, crucified in Romans 6, 6 by Jesus Christ. And now it's him. I can look at God now and his unbelievable love with me, and I see his face with joy. He looks at me through Christ with joy. Oh, yeah. For he will render unto man his righteousness. He will account it. He will give you and I, and we have his righteousness. We don't have to try to do anything. We have his perfect righteousness. We have the very perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. All this is in the book of Job, in one little part. This book is loaded with truth. This book is loaded with truth. He always has to teach us, like he had to teach Job as we begin to wrap this up, and just be able to get into a little bit of what we wanted to, and we'll continue this on Friday. That God, through trials and through what he's doing, again, in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good. To them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? It's to conform us to the image of his son in Romans 8, verse 29. Then, as we begin to be conformed to his image, then what happens? We begin to let go of everything that's inconsistent with a world rejected but heavenly glorified Christ. There's nothing here on this earth. Nothing. But getting to know him, who he is in his power and in his majesty. And God would have us 
like he wanted with Job, like he was doing with Job, to seek a wholehearted, obedient receiving of his love, that love to well up in him and to flow out into serving God, to worshiping him. That would be leading to simple dependence upon him for everything and have absolutely no confidence in the flesh, none. And that's how important it is. The most important thing about you and I as Christians right now, the most important thing is, is that we seek a real, near, intimate walk with Christ. And to have that be a resting place. Because outside of him, there's nothing but temptation, self-occupation, self-righteousness, self-justification, eventually, and then sin. And the believer, you and I, cannot touch sin without experiencing a great and hard bitterness of soul. When we, that's what we, when we think and when we act outside of him. It's a pit. We get into a pit. But he's delivered us already from that pit already but there's so much about how that has to happen and I want to begin to share that on Friday and Sunday we want to share this process of how as we begin to close here that as believers you and I we all have in a spiritual sense this moral sense we don't have morality apart from spirituality in Christ but we have that that moral, spiritual sense. And if in any measure that we begin to be true to our conscience, then we're going to, with our whole heart, as Isaiah 7 verse 15 says, we're going to want with our whole heart to refuse the evil and seek the good. Do you ever feel like that? With all your heart, you want to refuse the evil and seek the good? And maybe not too long after that, we're flat on our face. We're thinking the most heavenly, incredible thoughts. And then moments later, the thoughts and things that go, oh boy. But God begins to enlighten, he begins to enlighten our conscience through the word which is Jesus Christ. And then we definitely really insist on that. We've got to have that. We've got to have it. Psalm 36, verse 9, with you, O God, is this fountain of life. And in your light, we'll see light. But the principle, the principle of this outside of Christ can only be the principle of law, performance. Because when you try to tie obedience to the law, we just find out how very 
contrary it is to the natural man or the man or the woman that is trying to perform in the flesh. That's what happened. Now, then what happens? Grace begins to come in. Remember? Of his fullness have we all received in John 1 verse 16 and grace for grace. The Greek says it's anti, it's grace heaped up on top of grace, heaped up on top of grace. Why? Verse 17 of John 1. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So grace comes in. Then you, you and I can begin to rejoice in the, the absolute assurance that we are forgiven, that we are forgiven, no question. And we begin to understand the atonement or being reconciled through Christ as our substitute because he's propitiated the Father. No question, yes. And thou, now our conscience, our mind begins to constrain us to what? To live to please God. That's what we want to do, right? We want to live to please God. But then what happens? Wanting to live to please God is then taken up on the legal principle. Works, performance of the flesh. So that what is? then what's the great aim that's pursued? It's self-improvement. <laughs> that's all it can be. That's all it can be. Uh, Job 14, verse 4. Can anything clean come out of that that's unclean? Can any good come out of the flesh? Is there any good in it? In Romans 7, 18, and John 6, 63. No. No. But thank God we have grace. Thank God because we, the truth is we are positioned in Jesus Christ. And we are above it. And we want to continue this again on Friday. Because there's just so very much here. That God wants us to have. Thank God. It's not performance, it's not law, it's not legalism for us. We're not looking for righteousness in ourself or in our flesh or in our performance as a means of being accepted by him. But in Ephesians 1, 6, we're already accepted in the beloved. It's Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter three eighteen. he was the just dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God. He's brought us to God. No question about it. He has, he has brought us to God. And we want to see that, just how incredible that is. So, Lord, we do thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for this portion that's so rich. There's so much truth here in the book of Job. So very, very, very much that you have for us. So very much. And we're just excited about the word. We are very excited about the, the word of God, the classes, just the things that you have in store for us. Because you don't want us going down to a pit, getting stuck in miry clay, thoughts that don't come from you. 
projections and accusations and opposition from an, an unseen enemy who never sleeps, never stops scheming. But thank God, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in us than he that is ruling this world system. And this is the victory. We already have the victory in Romans 8, 37. And in 1 John 5, verse 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world system, the whole satanic world system, even our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening in. We hope you were blessed and God was glorified. Feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings.